After many years of restaurant-focused books, we're in a moment when more and more cookbooks explore people's heritage, including the cooking of grandmothers and matriarchs in a deeper way. What does it take to write a book like this, especially if the cook you want to feature has never followed a recipe? Welcome to Everything Cookbooks, the podcast for writers, readers, and cooks. This is Kristen Donnelly, and I'm here today with my co-host, Andrea Nguyen. Hey, Andrea. Hey, Kristen. How are you? Great. In light of our guest today, I was wondering, do you think you'll still be doing this work when you're in your 80s? Well, you know, we've talked about the financial aspects of being, you know, a cookbook writer. And I've often said to people jokingly, but maybe not, that I will be writing and teaching until the day I die. Because, you know, financially, it's a little wobbly. But but, no no retirement plan there. Yeah, there's no retirement, uh, no second home here yet um, or ever. But but I do think about longevity and what that means. Nowadays, we're, when we're writing cookbooks, you know, we put so many of our personal stories in there and people want to hear them. But what if you like held on to them, right? You know, until you're older and wiser and honestly, maybe a little bit more badassery is in your heart and in your hands. And then you just unleash them onto the world, onto the page. I wondered about that. Yeah, well, that's basically what our guest today did, Emily Meggett, who we are thrilled beyond belief to have on the podcast. She is the author of Gullah Geechee Home Cooking. She wrote it with writer Kayla Stewart, became a New York Times bestseller. How did that happen? The story I've heard that was featured in the New York Times went that Miss Emily actually started writing this book about 20 years ago with her friend, Becky Smith. And Becky was actually somebody who she cooked for, for a really long time. Becky says, you know, the world needs to know you, Miss Emily. BJ Dennis is a chef who has gotten a lot of acclaim for Gullah Geechee cooking. And apparently an agent who actually happens to be my agent named Jonah Strauss reached out to BJ and said, do you want to write a cookbook? Are you looking for a presentation? That sort of thing. And BJ said, you know what, I'm already writing a cookbook and I'm already represented, but I know a woman who is about to self-publish a book and her book should be the first big Gullah Geechee cookbook. And so BJ introduced Jonah to Miss Emily and after some thought and some prayer, she decided to get this traditionally published. So they brought in writer Kayla Stewart. Next thing you know, it's a bestseller. That's amazing. And circling back to what you said at the, at the top of the show about, you know, after all these years of chef focused books, we're now taking a look at uh, home cooks and valuing their wisdom and valuing what they have to teach us on the page in a cookbook. BJ Dennis handing off the baton and just saying, nope, go talk to this lady who is in her late 80s. That is amazing, amazing. Yeah, in that article, they said at 89, Mrs. Mega is considered by many to be the most important Gullah Geechee cook alive. Fabulous. And so I'm really excited to talk to her. I'm excited to ask her also about her own cooking mentors because she says pretty clearly in the book, you know, I've never really used a recipe. I use my intuition. I use my heart. She talks 
a lot in the book about a mentor named Miss Brown. And it sounds like Miss Brown really like seasoned her, you know, I mean, she had some tough times with Miss Brown. So I'm curious to learn more about that. Me too. I'm so excited to chat with Miss Emily and Kayla because their book is not just full of, you know, cooking wisdom and techniques, but also just lifelong lessons. There are things in there for for readers, writers, and cooks that we can really learn from a lot. Miss Emily has much to share. Hello, Miss Emily, and hello, Kayla. Welcome to Everything Cookbooks. Hi. Thank you. We heard you had a big birthday that just passed. 90. Oh, yes. I had a big birthday bash. I said, no, I haven't. I've never seen so many people in all my life, <laughs> but it was good. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about Edisto, where you're from, which you call in your book, A Piece of Heaven. <laughs> yes. Can you tell our listeners why your home is so magical? Well, Edisto Island is a special place because everyone cares and looks out for one another. I consider Edisto Island to be God's country. There is no place like it. If you ever visit Edisto Island, you will want to come back because the people are so warm and friendly. My home is a magical place, magical because it is filled with lots of love, joy, peace, and always something good to eat. And Kayla, you're not from Edisto, right? No, I'm actually originally from Houston, Texas. Um, so this was my first experience um, on Edisto Island uh, working with Miss Emily. And what were your impressions? I similar to what Miss Emily said, she's absolutely right. Um, when I first visited, I knew I would immediately come back as soon as possible. Um, I was really just in awe of, of not only the beauty, but the the real serenity that's there. Um, it's just this gorgeous, peaceful and quiet oasis. And I feel like the word peaceful is used quite a bit, but it really is you know, emblematic of that word. Um, there are so few people kind of on the island um, and it's very much, uh, there has not been as much development as on some of the other sea islands um, in the region. Um, so it, it really is quite lovely. You see the Gullah Geechee cuisine very vividly throughout the community. Um, and, and I thought it was just a gorgeous, intriguing place um, in the American South. If the side door is open, there's food in the kitchen. <laughs> We've heard about that side door to your home being open all the time, Miss Emily. And that would, you know, for some people, that would mean trouble. But for you, that just means having friends, families and strangers into your home to share a good meal. Yes, because to me, there are so many people out there that walk around hungry, wanted something to eat, don't have the money to buy. So then if I see them coming, my stove is always full of pots with food. So I think that's a good thing because everybody likes to share, but I like to share. Yeah. So much of what you cook is big, right? Yes, I cook it. I cook big because I got a big family. But then um, yeah. I cook and I cook big. They got enough to eat and they got enough to share with the neighbor, the friends, and anybody that come by. 
Amazing. Well, I know that you have 55 grandchildren mm-hmm. and that is, uh, you know, that's probably a small meal for you, Miss Emily. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's part of the Gullah Geechee traditions. Yes. Um, and that's what the book is all about. Mm-hmm. That generosity that you have. And the story of the Gullah Geechee includes some ugly truths about forced migration and slavery, but also so many beautiful stories about resilience. Mm-hmm. How did you approach bringing those hard truths into the book and decide which parts of the history to include? I think of my grandmother. My grandmother taught me to always tell the truth, regardless of how painful it might be. Because you may help someone else in the process. For me, the story in the book is a reflection of my life and upbringing. So deciding which piece of story to include was easy, but I wanted every recipe to tell the story and why it is very important to every every meal that was prepared by me. My grandmother would tell us, whatever you do in life, tell the truth, because the truth will always come back. You can run around and tell all the lies you want, but if you tell the truth, the truth will set you free. So that's my aim and my desire. Miss Emily, you, you talk about how Edisto is insulated, not so much isolated. And that's how the Gullah Geechee culture and cuisine has been preserved. Can you give us a little bit more of a sense of that? Because our, our listeners may not quite understand what Gullah Geechee is. Well, the people refer here as Gullah Geechee, most time they are talking about the way we speak because of language and broken. Some of us talk faster and people may think we have an accent. Also, they call us Gullah Geechee because the food we eat, we ate a lot of grits, rice, cornbread, seafood, vegetable, black and white, grew up of all crop and every day had rice and dinner and this for breakfast. Now, the, the people that grew up here on Edison, they grew up with breakfast every morning and that, that contained like grits and must meat, bacon, egg, sausage, and cornbread. The, the, the majority of us grew up here with like that, because when people come from off, they will say, why y'all have that heavy food breakfast? We, were, we was prone to that because when we get up in the morning, our breakfast was ready and it was like the same. Now, I've been doing this for so long, I don't believe I'll ever remove from that again in life. And then I brought my children up. My, my grandmother brought me up on that. Then my children grew up on that. So they're, they're not going to I would say square away from that. When they get up in the morning, they want that 
it is still food. <laughs> yeah. And so much comes from the water oh, yes. right around you, right? And your garden. Erso was like a private place to us because we had our own corn, mm-hmm. little river that you could go into, get your fish, your shrimp, your crab, your oyster. You didn't have to go to the other city to get that. We, we got it, had it all right here. Yeah. All we had to do was put the seed in the ground and when it, the seed gets up, all we had to do, my uncle and those would take it to a place called Jericho. And Jericho would process it, and they'll bring it back. So we didn't have to go to the store for too many things. Not no flour, no no grits. We had to go to the store. Yeah. We had our own well, cow, turkey, hog, chicken, duck. We had we had all those things. So it was right there on the island. And what we had, we shared with farms, with Edistow. Edistow was always a sherry and a caring place. A sherry and caring place. Yes, and you're, you're such a big part of that. Yeah, I love the passage where you describe how you grow the corn and how you take it to Jericho and you take the corn over there and you get it back in two forms in two different bags. Mm-hmm you know, the grits and then the hulls that would go to the hogs. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, you know, nowadays we read cookbooks written about Southern foodways and they just skip to the grits. (laughs) They don't talk (laughs) about growing the corn and having it processed by someone you know, or even, you know, the the section where you talk about growing sweet potatoes. Mm -hmm. I was so taken by that. I thought this lady is telling me how I can like totally sort of have this this hack to keep my sweet potatoes going from one season to the next. Mm-hmm. And and that's the beauty of a life that's been led like yours on Edisto and for so long. Mm-hmm. Kayla, what was that like for you, like having been in Houston and all of a sudden you're in like this place? How did that change your perspective of Southern foodways or the black food experience? Yeah, I think this was such a uh, such a wonderful um, assignment in part because it was such a wonderful learning experience for me. Um, while I have roots in the South, um, the Carolinas um, were a region I was not familiar with. And Miss Emily, you know, she's an educator as much as she's a teacher. Um, much of our experience was both learning about the differences and distinctions of Gullah Geechee foodways, but also just learning more about the art of cooking. Of course, Ms. Emily comes from an era of cooking where uh, measurements were not uh, were not what we uh, what we consider or use the way we do now, and you know, just the nature of cooking was very different. And so, really um, learning from her about sensory cooking and really digging into that, but as well as just um, learning where our food comes comes from and understanding those processes are part of being a good cook, uh, being a good home cook. That was something that I really um, enjoyed during my experience of working with Miss Emily and I'm thankful for, and I think it's something that a lot of people um, are probably learning as they read the book. So Miss Emily, you learn cooking from your grandmother you refer to as mama in the book. Mm-hmm. You learn to cook by sensing things, not necessarily by recipes written down. So it must have been quite something for Kayla and you to put together written recipes for this book. Mm-hmm. 
you kind of say, you know, they're not written just for like two to three people, but maybe up to 10 people sometimes because you're into feeding a lot of people in Edisto. You know, you said it's about sharing and you've got this wealth of ingredients. What was it like for y'all to get the recipes down on paper? It must have been challenging. It was challenging for me because when Beck said he's going to do this cookbook, I said to Beck, I said, I don't know. She was sitting in front of me and telling Emily, how would you do grits? How would you do rice? How would you do cornbread? And I would say, my mama learned me how to and show me how to do it. Then I learned from that. And then I cannot, I cannot cook by the recipe. So when we got these recipes together, and I think it was, it was Kayla called from New York or somebody called, said, Emily, we're going to put that book together. And uh, we're going to have a cook come down from New York and put these recipes together to see whether your recipe match up with their recipe. Then I got sort of jittery. I said, I don't think I can compete with you. I'm from New York. I know in my brain, and I know in my heart how I would fix it. But then I didn't know how the, the cook from New York would come, and they would fix it and, you know, and change things around. So I said, Becky, I said, I don't think I can do that. I said, because I can't compete with those um, cooks in New York. They said, oh, you can. Don't you worry about it. You can. So when the cook came, I think they had one week here and one week at Becky House, 84, 85 recipe of the one that I had. And I only had to go over two. But I said, well, did you know anything? I, I didn't do bad. But then when it come to <laughs> measure, like you have to measure like half a tablespoon and half a teaspoon and a teaspoon. Well, I just take my imagination and went through it like that. And in terms of perfect. But now, if I to open that book to cook, can't do it because I'll, I'll be lost. <laughs> and my grandmother said, little of this, little of that. It turns out perfect. <laughs> but now, when I say, get that book and measure this and measure that. No, I, I, can't, I can't do it. I was worried about the measuring. I wasn't, I wasn't worried about the, the, um, the cooking thing. Season, whatever. I was worried about that measure, but I think it turned out perfect. And how did that work for you, Kayla, as part of the process? I think I heard you did cook with Miss Emily. That's right. Yeah, I did cook with Miss Emily, which was a wonderful um, process and experience. It was absolutely a challenge. Um, it was a challenge, but it was very interesting kind of deconstructing a recipe and, you know, working it from the ground up in terms of getting those measurements. It was a wonderful process, though. Uh, Miss Emily, you know, she has more energy than, than many of us and is a total trooper. And so she was ready <laughs> and excited um, to, you know, bring in the measurements and answer questions and, you know, show and repeat steps and all of those things that are really important. So it was it was definitely a challenging experience, but again, a, a wonderful learning experience and a terrific opportunity to really learn about how we cook, why we cook, and how the ways in which we cook kind of evolve over time. Um, but, you know, why it's so important to remember the different ways in which cooking uh, and recipes are communicated. You know, of course, in, in Black American culture, including Gullah Geechee culture, you know, that oral 
communication in terms of delivering recipes, you know, that tradition has endured. And so now having them on paper is very exciting. And this is another opportunity to do that. Yeah. Were there any recipes that stand out in your mind? You know, the shad is certainly, I think, uh, one of the most labor intensive um, dishes. But ironically, it's also it's also a very fun dish to make. Um, it's it's a it's a collaborative process. You're having to work with someone to actually sew the fish. So it, it, it can be fun um, as well. And also just exciting kind of celebratory dish as well. Red rice is certainly a dish that it's so important to the culture and it so, uh, carries so much value and tradition for people. So you just want to get that recipe right. So dishes like that were very uh, important to really workshop and, and figure out um, what worked for people who were reading the book. Um, and I'd finally add that the deviled crab was Yum. delicious and just so fun to eat and make and watch Miss Emily's process in terms of how she uses those crab backs. Um, so, it you know, all across the book, there are definitely uh, many, many stories there. I made the shrimp rice, which was delicious, but my daughter was looking through the book with me and she pointed out the red rice and she's like, make that next. That sounds so good. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm Uh, all over the deviled crab and the she crab soup. And I was like, two pounds of crab. That's my kind of woman. (laughs) I was kind of skeptical about doing the shed because that was um, this wrong recipe. She taught me how to, to do it, and I just went from there. And like the barrel crab, she taught me how to do that. You have to learn from somebody. You just don't put it together and say, well, you know, I did this and I, you know, you, you learn from somebody. It was amazing because I learned from Ms. Brown. There's a lot of things that I learned from Ms. Brown because like the biscuit. Yeah. So I didn't do that biscuit right. She's there in the garbage. And I think that was a that was a learning process. I think I did everything I could put that biscuit together, put it in the oven. I want to go back to the oven. It's raining. And she'd be standing like right there. She said, Now, where do girls go eat for lunch? I said, I just take the biscuit up. She go in there, she just touch it. And then she threw it in the garbage. She said, You're gonna do it and you're going to do it until you get it right. I'd be so angry with her, but you know what I think? She taught me that. Not, not. A lot of people can't make biscuit. I said, every morning I put that key in that door, I feel like killing this round. But you know what? She taught me. Next day, good job. So then I learned from her. Cooking is not hard. Cooking is easy. But then you have to put your mind to it. If you don't put your mind to do it, How do you know the biscuits are right? It's a different feeling. She just go in and touch it. And if you don't bounce back, it's not right. But if you stir just enough to get that milk and that flour absorbing each other, it's good. You've got a lifetime of recipes to choose from. How did you decide what recipes to include? When Miss Emily, when I came onto the project, uh, Miss Emily kind of had a working sort of manuscript, a, a kind of list of recipes she wanted and some ideas. And so once the family did um, ultimately decide on a publisher, we then kind of went through the list that she initially had and some of the other recipes um, in her repertoire and kind of made a decision from there. So it was a selection process of really going through some of her life's work and looking at recipes that had been of particular importance to her over time and determining which ones 
would be a good fit for folks. There was actually a recipe book of Miss Emily's that she published for her church um, a, a few decades ago. Oh, wow. Um, cool. And there's a recipe for raccoon. And so that one, unfortunately, nice. didn't make the cookbook because yeah. it's, you know, many people are not doing that anymore. So that was an example of some of those, you know, that some of the dishes that might not fit kind of in, in, in this context. But we had a really good time um, looking at her, her work over time. Wow. Yeah, but you know, what was cool in the book is that you talk about cooking the raccoon, Miss Emily, its flavors and stuff. And I think that, you know, most of us are never going to get to taste raccoon. Mm -hmm. But just having that in a book somewhere so that we have it recorded is so important. Mm -hmm. You don't need a recipe for that, but you, you talk about it enough so that I, as a reader and cook, go, oh, yeah, okay. You know, this is something real, not just something that's exotic, you know, or, or, or strange. This is how people on Edisto eat and people elsewhere in America eat. So I thank you for that. One of the other things that I found so incredibly wonderful about your book is this confidence that you say, this is my recipe. Yes. (laughs) You know, in the fried green tomatoes recipe introduction in particular, you give people tips on how to keep green tomatoes green and then how to let the tomatoes sit face up while storing them. And you write, people don't like to sleep face down and tomatoes don't either. (laughs) And at the end of the line, the the last sentence that you say, you may serve these with my pink sauce. I got to tell you, it's almost like you may have permission to make my fried green tomatoes and you may serve them with my pink sauce. So that's like the, that level of, of confidence in yourself and your recipe is honestly, I got to tell you, is something that modern cookbook writers like myself, we don't do as much because we don't have that level of, I mean, we have confidence in our feelings, but but to step out and go, my recipe, that's like so wonderful. And you say that over and over because you like totally own your recipes and your flavors. And yet you, you also give tribute to people that you learn from. So at what point your cooking life, when you're cooking a dish over and over and you're like, that is my recipe. That is my dish. Mm-hmm. How do you know that moment? How do you feel that moment? Just has a good feeling because, you know, a lot of people don't cook alike. But it gives you a good feeling just to go in on and knowing that you're going to put this together and that together and that, and it's always going to turn out, be, turn out good. Cook for people all over the world. They seems to come back and like it. Emily, you, you like that? The way, the, the way that you fix it, you jazz it up and put all those um, seasoning in it. So the recipes in your book are as close as possible to how you make yes. them, yes. showing off those flavors, your flavors. Yes. And people have, all they use was salt and pepper. But now you got a hundred, you got a hundred dozen uh, thing on the shelf that you can season with. But I don't season it all those seasoning. Nature seasoning and uh, and seasoning salt. Those two I use, and you get a good flavor with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know that you had started this process about 20 years ago, yeah. right? Over 20 years mm-hmm. ago with Becky Smith. And all of a sudden, you have a bestseller on your hands. Mm-hmm. 
So how did all that happen, Kristen? And I want to know. It just happened. (laughs) (laughs) It just, it just happened. In the beginning, Becky Smith wanted me to work for her. And I said, I'm not going to do it because I got other people that I'm working for because I go to work and work um, a morning job and get off in the afternoon and then do an evening job, then come home and fix my children's dinner so they can eat before you get 9 or 10 o'clock. So Matthew asked me, Emily, Becky wants you to come and do some cooking for her in the afternoon. I said, no, I got too much on my hand. So I thought about it, and I rang the doorbell. When I rang the doorbell, Becky came to the door. And it was just like magic. It was planned for me to go to Becky instead of go to somebody else. We connect just that quick little minute. So she said, I hadn't taken out anything for dinner, so I have to go to the store. I said, I see you mean to tell me I work a six-hour six job and then you, I come and you don't have the stuff ready. So I said, I said, you know what I want you to do? I want you to give me a $100 bill, the car key in the car. So I got it, and I went to the store, picked up the things, and came back. While she was unpacking, I was cooking. And after I get through cooking, I said, now it's time for me to go home and see about my kids. And that was about, like, 6 o'clock. So it about 3 or 4 morning before I went back. So when I went back, she said, oh, Emily, that food, I never taste food like that, but it's, it was seasoned to the tea. Those recipes that you got in your head. She said, the world needs to know about this because it's, it's just sitting there in your head. So when I went back, was it the fourth or fifth day, she got a recorder and she sat on the floor and I sat in the chair and I just, just tell her what recipe would go with chicken, fish, shrimp, crab, I just I just read out all the recipes. She said, how did you keep that in your... I said, I don't know. I said, but this is from way, way back. And I said, even my grandmother, cornbread, biscuit, hush puppy. So she said, well, this need to, this need to go out in the world and let the world know. So then she started writing, and I started telling her. Every day I went there, I tell her, and she recorded. You know, this, this cookbook, Miss Emily, is... Your life's work, as you say, it's a reflection of who you are, the truths of your people. In the book introduction, there is mention of three women, Abby Fisher, Zephyr Wright, and Edna Lewis. Mm -hmm. Those are Black Americans who contributed mightily to the discussion of food in this country. How did their work inform or inspire you, Miss Emily? These women inspire me because they all had a family and raised children. While they worked outside of the home, cooking for others, they loved Southern-style cooking. I find myself preparing some of the same thing that they cooked. Big Sunday breakfast with grits, egg, bacon, also fried chicken and spoon bread. Did you want to add to that at all, Kayla? Yeah, sure. I think, you know, it's interesting. I 
see Miss Emily and those women kind of in the same category as um, women that have allowed Black women in food and food writing to be in this industry. Those women um, really have been able to contribute to American foodways, contributed to American foodways, but weren't appreciated. And so in this book, being that it is the first Gullah Geechee cookbook by a major American publisher, we really wanted to um, make sure to give weight and um, recognition to those women um, who've inspired both Miss Emily and myself and who have allowed Amer- African-American foodways to persevere. So, yes, I continue to be deeply inspired by them in my own career. And I think uh, we um, owe a great gratitude um, to them um, for their stories and the recipes and the traditions that they uh, preserved and communicated through their work and that we still have today. Yeah, I'm so grateful to both of you for writing this book. You know, there are so many important culinary people in different communities. And I'm just curious, do you have any advice, any advice for, I guess, this bookmaking process? I will just say, I think one of the things that really was helpful in terms of producing this book was that I think Miss Emily and I uh, built up a respectful kind of relationship when we were first meeting. Um, it was actually during the pandemic and I, you know, had to double mask and do a lot of things, but I actually made a point of going to her home to actually meet her in person and kind of make that uh, in-person connection. And so immediately from there, just getting to know each other on a, on a personal level and getting to chat in the first place was extremely helpful. Um, and then just really um, kind of setting kind of clear expectations. We, you know, talked about what uh, what the deliverables were and kind of the time frame that we had and really set up a game plan um, early on to make sure that we could um, achieve what we needed to do. And of course, we had a number of uh, twists and turns as, as all um, book presses do, but we very much were able to, of course, ultimately complete the book. And I think um, a lot of it was because we spent so much time um, both uh, sharing some uh, respect for one another, um, but also really creating a plan and sticking to it as closely as possible. Um, so I would encourage people to do that and to just make sure that what you're what you're writing about is is truly what you're interested in. Um, I think in this industry, just being true to yourself, um, Miss and Miss Emily's love for her cuisine and for the Gullah Geechee culture shines through each and every day that you're with her, and I think it shines through on the page as well. So it was a no-brainer, obviously, for her to produce this book. And for me, again, being able to work with a Black woman that has influenced the African-American foodways, as well as specifically um, the Low Country and Gullah Geechee foodways, was both an honor and just an exceptional opportunity. So, you know, again, just having a passion and having an excitement about the subject matter is, is of course, essential. And Miss Emily, do you have any words of wisdom? Well, my advice would be to stick with your style of cooking and things that you were taught. That's the most important thing because, you know, children of the day, you know, they they, they taught one thing and then they do another. But if you stick with what your parents taught you, you'll be all right. Because parents are not going to tell their children nothing wrong. That's, That's number one. I find out from my grandmother. If they tell you not to go down that road, don't go down there because trouble is on there. Stick with what you were taught. And if you were taught something good, it'll carry you through life. And my grandmother, my grandmother taught me, and now I said I'm I'm almost too old to 
to cook anymore. But I said, I just had my 90th birthday. And I'm still, I said, I can't walk like I want to walk. But I still wanted to get up and cook for whoever come by. So you're still cooking. Oh, yeah. Still cooking. <laughs> wow. Last night, I just braised some cheese to make a big batch of fermented cheese. Oh, my favorite. Nice. I love that. And you can't buy that fermented cheese in the store. And also, you can't buy that pepper jelly in the store. Not like how I make it. <laughs> well, that's why we're so happy there's the cookbook, Miss Emily, because yes. all your secrets are in there. Yes. <laughs> it's just been such a joy to get all these extra insights from you, Miss Emily, and about being in the kitchen for a lifetime of lessons. And I think that what you said in terms of if you want to cook well, you got to be willing to learn from somebody mm-hmm. and you got to practice. And those are great insights that even though it seems so simple to say, you know, good cooks are not made overnight. (laughs) They're not overnight successes. And we make a lot of mistakes. But when we get applause, like from Miss Brown saying, good job. Mm -hmm. woo, You learn from each other. I cook from my heart, my brain, and my hand. I go by the feeling. And I, I know the I suppose the feel. And then when I get to feeling it, then I'll know exactly how the rice is gonna come out, the fried chicken is gonna come out, the fish is gonna come out, the squash casserole is gonna come. I don't measure. I just put it in and I know exactly how much I got. I can't measure it. But it, it was very hard for me to measure when it comes to measure like baking powder to put in that cornbread. It's hard for me to do that, but I figured out. My grandmother, she taught us to be a good cook. She said, you don't know what kind of husband you're going to have. <laughs> she said, if you have children, you're going to have to cook to feed those children. And she said, a working man don't like to go to work all day long and come home and eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. She said he wanted to come home to full meal. And although I work, but my kids always had breakfast before they got on that school bus. They had a snack when they come home from school, and then they had dinner, sit down dinner to the table every day. Not one day, but every day. I don't know how I did it, but I did it. Then I'd go out and babysit for other people. But they went to school Every morning, groom, the hair was braided, and and the clothes were nice and clean. Amazing. Yeah. They had their breakfast before they went to school. They said, when we get grown, we are never going to eat grits. (laughs) 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 I did my best with those 10 kids I had, and also take care of 105 other kids out there in the world. Sometimes they come home with me, and I said, I can't bring you home, but they follow me home anyhow. I fixed it. <laughs> I fixed my kids' dinner, and when I sit them to the table, they sit to the table and they eat too. And I said, Okay, I'm going to call your mom or your dad to come get you. I don't want to go home to those white folks. I, those are your mama. 
They don't give me food like you give me. <laughs> I love it. So that's like the story of your household, Miss Emily. And it's um, so idyllic. You know, you, you talk about, you know, black Americans and, and white Americans and Edisto. And you also talk about enslavement. Mm-hmm. And there's like so much story there. Yes. How do you want your cookbook to tell the story of food and flavor in America? I would like all my book to tell the story that Gullah Geechee is special. The connection between the culture and food is that we have a strong belief in God and our community, respect for our elder and nature, and bring people and family together. The flavor is rich. And there is a wide variety of everything, and it's made from the heart with lots of love, and it doesn't have a lot of junk in it. Keep it simple. Don't jazz it up, because you lost the flavor. Well, thank you so much, Miss Emily and Kayla for sharing. Yeah, thank you so much for for spending time with us today. It was a real treat and such a generous gesture on your part. We, We greatly thank you. You're quite welcome. Of course, thank you all for having us. It was such a pleasure to chat. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Everything Cookbooks. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, send us a note through our website, everythingcookbooks.com. All of the books mentioned on the show can be found on our affiliate page at bookshop.org. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks to our editor, Abby Circatella. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep on writing, reading, and cooking. Cooking.